All right, well, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. If this is your first time at Calvary, welcome. We're glad to have you. We're making our way through um, the book of 2 Timothy. It was uh, the next book we were going through in the New Testament. And so we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The title of the study is Lessons on Labor. And let me just read these verses to you. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Paul's continuing his exhortation to young Timothy to continue on in ministry. People are abandoning Paul. They're not wanting to stand with Paul. He's in jail again. They're done with that. And Paul is saying, you've seen the pattern that I've laid down for you in my life. I want you to follow that. I want you to be fully engaged. Um, you're going to go through difficulties and hardships. Don't let that deter you. That same theme is going to continue, as you see, as we move into chapter 2. But There's a few added elements. And the one main element that he's going to add to this is, now you've got to pass this on to other people. I've passed it on to you. You must pass it on to others. But he's going to give some lessons on labor. And he's going to look to the soldier. He's going to look to the athlete. He's going to look to the farmer. And there'll be lessons for us to glean from each of those metaphors that serve as an example on how we should minister. We begin, though, at verse 1. And he says, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul stated, everybody in Asia has abandoned me. Timothy, you stand strong. But how is he going to stand strong? He's going to stand strong in the grace of the Lord. He's not going to waver because he's going to receive that power that comes from God's grace upon his life. Paul realized that the supplying strength of God's grace was going to be that needed element, even as he understood it for himself, that he needed that grace. I and mean, what did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You cannot do the spiritual work. You cannot labor in my kingdom apart from what I supply to you, the grace and the strength that I bring to you. So Paul is in asking Timothy to continue on in something he is unable to do because with Christ all things are possible. Now he is going to say you need the help of the Lord. As a matter of fact, when he says be strong, this word for be strong, it is a, it's a passive imperative. So it's a commandment, it's an imperative, but it's passive, which means there's going to be a strength that's going to act on you. There's going to, something's going to come outside of you, Timothy, and it's going to give you the ability. It's not, it's not a... Um, it's not passive. It's not middle where he's got to find the strength inside of himself. But it's, it's God is going to act upon him and he's going to give him that ability. And really the idea is not that you have not been doing it, but continue being strong in the grace of God. You've already been walking this out, but Timothy, don't forget, you still need the grace of God. 
You've not done this long enough. You've not walked far enough. You've not had enough experiences. You've not confronted enough troublemakers. You still need to have the grace of God upon your life to do what God has called you to do. The question I want to put before you is, how do we receive that strength? That God's going to give us this strength, this power, and it's his grace. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's something he's going to pour out, and it's in Christ Jesus. So this strength comes from the Lord. And I just, four quick points. Number one, we must be engaged in the work of the Lord to receive the strength of the Lord. If you're not walking with God, then why do you need the power of God upon you? If you're not serving the Lord, then why do you need the power of God upon you? So, But those that engage in the work of the Lord are those that walk with the Lord. The, the focus here is the work of the Lord. But when you engage in the work of the Lord, now you need this. And the second thing is once you engage in the work of the Lord, um, you're going to realize, oh, I need help. Have you ever served the Lord? Have you ever gone to teach a home fellowship, a Sunday school lesson, lead worship, um, engage in counseling, do a discipleship, and all of a sudden you're like, I, have, I do not have what it takes right now. I don't have what it takes to serve the Lord. And you know that you have that, but if you engage in the work, now you're in a position to realize it, and once you realize it, you call out to the Lord and you ask Him for that empowerment. You ask Him for that enabling. And the other point, number four, is that we must be in communion with the Lord. So we must be engaged in the work. We must realize the need. We must pray. But we must be in communion. Because the, the problem that can happen as we serve the Lord in the weeks and the months and the years and years turn into decades, that what happens is we, we arrive at this place where we, we, we kind of disconnect with the Lord. Now, we shouldn't and don't have to. We shouldn't. But we disconnect from the Lord. We're doing the work. But we've lost that communion. We've lost that intimacy, that fellowship with God. You know, there's, you know, there, we want to go along the rails of the Word of God, right? We want to go on the rails of the Holy Spirit. But, we, but there's something that's very similar to rails. They're called ruts. And it's not the same thing. Ruts are bumpy. Ruts are dangerous. And it's not the plan. The rails are the plan, and we have God's word, and we know how he wants us to walk and to live, but when we disconnect from the Lord, we can easily keep the motion going forward in our own strength, but it's the communion with the Lord is gone. This is one of the great things, I believe, in, in serving the Lord, is when you begin to feel like, I just can't do it, and I'm wiped out, and I'm tired, and to me, the Lord uses that as a red flag. It's like, Troy... Whose strength are you using right now? It's like a red flag, you know, flapping in the wind when I'm like, I just can't do this. I got to just, I got to find something else. It's like, wait a minute, whose strength am I using? Oh, that would be my strength right now. So we need to be strong in the grace of the Lord. And, and we need to make certain we are maintaining that communion in the Lord because it's in that place of fellowship with him that we are open to receive his instruction and his guidance. Um, you know, there's one moment I can remember so vividly in my mind, maybe because it was early on in ministry, maybe because it was so intense, maybe both. But I was probably, I don't know, I was in my early 20s. I know that. Maybe 22, maybe 23. And uh, doing, I was on staff at another church, and this woman um, was, I lived in Southern California, and there's a bunch of surfers at the church. I was not one of them. 
which meant that these guys, if the, if the swell was in, they would obviously, oh, I forgot. And then they would they'd be out. Well, this is one of those days where, you know, a guy forgot his counseling appointment and um, everybody forgot it. And I was there and they're like, all right, can you, t- can you take this? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I'll be glad to take the counseling appointment. But um, there, this was like, it was a, a, it was such a painful experience. This woman, um, a child had drowned um, in, in her care at the pool. She was being charged by the state with negligence. And um, she, was a, she was just melting down. And um, I had no idea. I just kind of walked into this appointment. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do it. You know, no problem. I got it. And so she began to talk. And I was like, what in the world do I say to her? She was crying. She was weeping. And I began to share things. When I'd share, she would, the emotion of her would overcome. She, never, she wasn't hearing anything I had to say. And I remember thinking this thought. I remember thinking, Lord, I don't know what to tell her. And right when I said that, she says, look at you. You don't even know what to say. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, lady. I don't know what to say. And, um, but, you know, as I had called out to the Lord in that sense of desperate need to be able to pass on the love of the Lord and the ministry of the Lord, and she said that, immediately the Lord put it in my mind what to say. And, and I can tell you what I said. I looked at her, and I said, I, I, I don't know what to say exactly, but I do have a question for you. I said, because she was just melting down, wanting to take her life and many other things. I said, have you forgiven yourself? And she lashed out. She was angry. She goes, so you think I'm guilty too? I'm like, I didn't say that. It doesn't matter whether you're guilty or not guilty before the state. There's a level of guilt that's associated with anybody who's in this place of caring for a child. And this happens. And, of course, then the, then the counseling, it just opened up, and the Lord was able to do um, some, some great mystery. So we, we need the grace of God. We can find ourselves in these places where it's just like, I don't know what I don't have, what it takes to get it done, and the Lord supplies. So be strong in the grace of God. It's not be strong in your, your own abilities, and don't be strong in the, you know, the history of everything you've done. Um, Trust in the Lord. Listen, I, um, for the last, you know, whatever, 33 years, I've been teaching the Bible for 33 years, and, um, which is amazing because I'm only 38 years old. But so, so for 33 years, I've been teaching the Bible pretty much multiple times a week, um, different Bible studies. And um, other times I was teaching three studies a week. Sometimes I was teaching five different Bible studies a week. Um, but for the most part, and most recently, two different Bible studies a week. And um, so I, I've done that, and I'm, um, I don't do a lot of things well. One thing that I do well is I take good notes for what I'm, gonna, what I'm teaching. It might not be good, but I take good notes of whatever, you know, whether it's good or bad. I've got good notes of what happened. And um, so I'm able to draw upon those. Um, and so I, I, I will go back to those notes, and I will take the time to go again, and I'll read, and I'll pray, and I'll wait upon the Lord, and, and I'll ask him. Now, I, I, I'm telling you that I could, I could just open my computer, and I could print out my notes. Just print it out. Okay, there it is. I can just roll with it. But the problem is I'm trusting in what God has done before. 
I'm not looking to, to dive in. I don't, I'm not asking the Lord for some fresh manna, for some fresh power to grow my own insight and my own understanding. And so, you know, so certain things that when, in that Bible study I did before, it's not going to change. A word study, if I did it correctly, does not change. If I've outlined the passage correctly, that does not change. But illustrations will change. Applications are going to change. Interpretation hopefully doesn't change, although... The honest truth is, sometimes it does. I'm like, why did I say that? And so this is it. But I, I don't just trust in what I've done before because I've, I, I have this. Now, the, there are times where I've stepped into a situation and I was not supposed to teach and somebody said, hey, can you, you got to teach this right now. And I have, in those moments, opened it up and just prayed, Lord, I'll you know, re-anoint this thing and me. And I've, I've, I've done that, but not as a practice. And so... You know, it doesn't matter how much you know or how much you've experienced or, you know, how familiar you are with the routine. You need Jesus. And I need Jesus. And the people around us, they don't need to have some, you know, rehashed experience in ministry. They need to see you and me serving in the freshness of the power of the Spirit of God for that very moment. And so... Continue to be strong in the grace of the Lord. That's the exhortation here. We move on into uh, verse 2. And there is this, this new element that he adds that he should be passing it on. I've laid the pattern down for you, chapter 1. You see how I've done it. I want you to continue doing the same thing. But that's not all, Timothy. I want you to now pass this on to other people as well. I want you to take what has happened in, in your life through me. And I want you to find other faithful men, and I want you to, to raise them up as teachers. So not only was Timothy to remain true to the course, but he is to help others get on that same course to be teachers, to, to uh, you know, protect the church against the, against the ravenous wolves that Paul told the Ephesian elders would come, is to be able to encourage and strengthen Find other men, Timothy, to do this work. This is not so different from what Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples. We are disciple makers. This is at the, in, at the ground floor of who we are as believers. We have put our faith and trust in him, and now we are the goers. As a matter of fact, here, when we read, go, therefore... You could actually read this as, and as you are going. That's the force of the language here. As you are going. Not like, go therefore, plan a moment where you would go. No, you're already going. We are already in this. And he says, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So, what was in the heart for all of us as believers to be doing, instructing and teaching and helping others grow in faith, is a specific charge to Timothy to raise up other Bible teachers that can do the work that he is doing, that, had been, that Paul had modeled for him. 
And so I pray that you're finding that person. Maybe you're not a Bible teacher who's raising up Bible, other Bible teachers, but you are at least a, a believer that has had experiences and has knowledge and has the Word. You have experienced God in your life. You've seen how He's shown up in that trial. You've seen how He's given you strength in the midst of um, you know, uh, something that seemed overwhelming. You have had an experience with God. You have encountered Him. And you've been equipped as you've been encountered. And now you must take this and you must pass it on. you got to pass it on. This is the plan. This is the commandment of the Lord is to give away what you've received. If you've walked with the Lord and you know the word, then this becomes all the more certain that this should be your course of action. Well, but I'm not a Bible teacher. I, I, I will never stand up in front of people and teach. That's, that's the way most are going to be. But all of us still teach. If you've ever interacted with a human, you've taught. something. You, you, maybe it's not even about spiritual things, but you've taught them something. You've taught your kids how to tie their shoes. You've taught their, your kids how to brush their teeth. You've taught somebody how to, I don't know, to shoot or to hunt or whatever. You've taught them something. So we teach people things all the time. And all of us have that responsibility to pass on the word of the Lord, the ways of the Lord, the character of the Lord to other people. And you pass this on. You share this. You invest in one another's life. Now, specifically in verse 2, Timothy is to raise up teachers. He is to raise up those that can carry on in ministry. Because as we read in chapter 1, there's a shortage of those guys. There's not many. All have forsaken, Paul says. So find them. And what kind of men is he to find? Faithful men. There's a place where we help people out that are really in the midst of struggles. And, and maybe they've you know, submarined their, their life and... They're, they have uh, besetting sins in their life that have just brought them down. And a person comes to that place where they're like, listen, I'm ready to get out of this. And then we help them get out and we disciple them to be, you know, become faithful and fruitful followers of Jesus. But for this specific commandment, for Timothy, is find the faithful ones. Find the ones that, have all, that are already walking with the Lord and are faithful. But they need that further input in their life to answer the call of God upon their life. Faithfulness, such an important thing that we are true. Now, faithfulness does not mean perfection because there's no perfect people, all right? None of us are perfect. But that as a matter of life, there's faithfulness, and you find those, and you call them to do that work. Now, as we move into the next portion of this short little section we're reading, he's going to go into three different types of careers. He's going to talk about the soldier. He's going to talk about the athlete. He's going to talk about the hardworking for farmer. So first of all, you have the sword, uh, soldier there in verses 3 and 4. And um, he's going to talk about him. Um, he says that a soldier must endure difficulty. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier. This is just going to happen. This is just part of it. Does anybody ever decide to go and be a soldier because they think it's going to be easy? I signed up to have you tell me what to do every moment of my life because I thought that would be easy. Well, you made a mistake, didn't you? That was, that was a wrong thought. If that's why you joined the military, it's because you thought it was going to be super easy. No, I mean, there might be times where things are easier than others, but when a soldier is called upon for the reason that they are... Uh, 
uh, you know, enlisted, listen, it could be life or death. And so you must be willing to endure hardship, go through difficulties, to go through the lack of food, to go through the lack of shelter, and all the things that um, soldiers will endure. Paul's telling Timothy that he is aware that there are difficulties in, ministries right, in ministry right now, but you must keep pressing on. You're going to have to endure them. You're gonna, you, you can't just give up. And some of the things that we face enlisted in the Lord's army and that are challenges is uh, the enemy will bring difficult people into your life. Or they're just in your life. Maybe they're not from the enemy. They're just there. And they, they can begin to discourage you. They, you know, your hands are there doing the work, and they're constantly slapping down your hands. I mean, Aaron and her lifted up the, the arms of, of Moses, but then there are those people that go around, and they're constantly trying to pull down, you know, the, the arms of those that are laboring and serving the Lord. Maybe that's what's caught the, the hardship that you are enduring. Maybe there's something you're enduring in your body. You're feeling something that's going on. There's a shortcoming. There's a limitation. There's a sickness and whatever. And, and, and Paul dealt with these, right? He had that, that thorn in his flesh that he prayed three times that the Lord would remove. And he said, no, my grace will be sufficient for you. And there's just those difficult circumstances that, that go on, things we didn't anticipate. you got to endure disappointment, discouragement. You know, the enemy loves to use discouragement and the army of the Lord to get people to stop doing the work. Well, this isn't what I thought, or I thought by now this would have happened. And I cannot tell you how many times Satan has come with a wave of discouragement seeking to get me to just give up and just to back away. This is what he does. But we endure hardships. We endure the difficulty. We say, no, I'm going to stand fast. Read with me Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. Look at, the, look at the commitment and the focus that the Apostle Paul has in ministry. He says, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. I'm ready to endure. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And isn't this kind of the problem? As a lot of times we do count our life dear to ourselves. I've got to protect what I have. The life that I have, I mean, I don't want to go through difficulty. And I'm just not, I'm just not willing to endure that. No, you count your life dear to yourself. But we need to count our life dear as unto the Lord. What, net, what, what really should matter is I want to run the race that God's put before me, and I want to faithfully fulfill that. I want to have a joy knowing that I've done what the Lord has told me to do. And that is a great um, comfort when you're walking that out. And just like, Lord, I'm doing these things because you have put them in front of me. So endure hardship. Maybe that's speaking to some of you right now. Maybe it's not about ministry. Maybe this just applies in general to your walk with the Lord and the circumstances you're facing. You're like, I don't know if I can continue on. I don't know. This, this may be my last lap right here. Okay, well, let me ask you, where are you going to go run next? 
Because unless you were just planning on dying, you're going to keep running. So where are you going? Where are you going to go run that next lap? What are you going to put your hands to? What is the work that you're going to put your hands to? What is that philosophy of life that you're going to, going to live out? Because are you under the impression that because you leave the Lord, suddenly you're going to find easy street? And now everything's going to fall into place. You have all the money you need. You'll have best health. Everybody around you will only be joyful, full of sunshine and daisies. And, you know, it's all just going to go well. They're going to only say nice things to you. Is, is that what you think is going to happen when you cease to endure hardship as a good soldier of the Lord? Where are you going? As Peter said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. So, you know, I mean, you may think about opting out, and that is the work of Satan just to say, quit, give up, pull back, save your strength. Where Paul's like, press on, go forward, lay it all down, endure hardship. And this is what we have been called to do. In verse 4, he says that a soldier should not only work hard, uh, endure hardships, excuse me, but a soldier must also not entangle himself with the affairs of this life. Why? Because we want to please the Lord. The, the, the motivation is, is pleasure to the Lord. This advice to Timothy is advice that the whole army of God should hear no matter what you're doing. Is don't get entangled with the things of this world. Don't give Satan a foothold, as it says in Ephesians 4.27, nor give place to the devil. Satan is constantly looking for a place to launch his next attack against your life. Now you're like, that's not good news. Well, that is what we've been told, though, right? Is that he's, he's looking, we'll read it in just a moment, that he's a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for the opportunity to launch against you. And the way we want to be is we want to have slippery slopes all around our life. That he can't find that place to launch from. He can't come and have a foothold to get there and now move up here and move up there. But that he continues to fail because there's nothing by which he can assail your life. And, and getting entangled in the affairs of this life gives him that opportunity. And we got, we, we're called to live differently. We're called to live as as those who have a citizenship in heaven, we're not called to live like everybody else. We're different. We're a peculiar people, right? We're servants and slaves of Jesus Christ, and we serve at his pleasure. Whatever you want, Lord, that's what I do. And I want to be found in the end pleasing you. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me but I will not be brought under the power of any. There are many things that are lawful. You can get away with it. You won't be transgressing a law or a commandment of God, but that does not mean it's going to help you along in your journey and your service to the Lord. And you can justify it, and you can argue it out, and you can convince all of us around your life that it's okay for you to do that. And we'll say, well, yeah, I mean, you have that liberty. But at the end of the day, the question is, is it helpful? Is it helping you Make the most progress with the greatest speed for the kingdom and the glory of God. That's, that's what motivates us. It's not like, can I get away with it? Can I do this? Can I do that? Because when we live and think like that, we're living like legalists. They have no relationship with the Lord. 
It's like, well, I, you know, can, I have, do I have to do this rule, that rule? I do, well, I don't have to do that. Okay, then. I'm going to include that in. And it just becomes like this, this moral code that we're trying to follow. But it's not simply a moral code. I talked about this on Wednesday night a little bit before Patty shared. We're wanting to be holy, which is way different than being ethical and moral. Holy is so much higher. It's based upon a relationship because holiness says, I want to be like you. I see you, and you're beautiful, and I want to be like you, so I will do that. And I don't want to be entangled in anything. I don't want anything that's not going to be helpful to me. And so how can you make the most progress as a servant of the Lord, as a child of the Lord? Well, don't become entangled in the affairs of this life. And you think about soldiers and the focus and the commitment that they have. And you can say that about many other your professions, you know, people that are dealing with critical moments. You know, fi- I mean, what would you think of a fireman who was, while well, a house was on fire, was leaning up against the side of the fire truck just messing on his iPhone? What would you think? Hey, get in the game, man. What are you doing? Well, hey, I'm just checking a few texts. It's not that big of a deal. It is to me because my house on fire. And, and there ought to be that sense of urgency that, yeah, you can do it, but it's not helpful to the purpose. And the goal is that we please him who enlisted us. That the Lord would look down and say, I am pleased with that. Well done. I encourage you to examine where your emphasis lies in this life. Is it in the affairs of this life and making excuses and saying, well, this and well, that. I had that experience and that experience and other people are doing this and don't get legalistic with me. You know, usually the person who says don't get legalistic with me is a person who has some issues in their own life. Not always, not always. But it's usually the person who's like trying to justify something in their life. But again, I I referenced it, but now just to give you the reference, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober Be vigilant because your adversary, it does not say Troy's adversary, it's your adversary. It's mine too. He's after you. The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who is going to give me that foothold? Who's entangled? Who's uh, allowing things into their life that are not helpful? It's not sinful, but man, I can work with that. I can work with that. I can, I can put my foot here. I may not get to the top, but I can at least begin to assail that life. And so we live differently. We live soberly. We live vigilantly, uh, vigilantly because we, don't, we know that he's coming after us. And again, the last point is the soldier seeks to please those over him. We serve to please the Lord. We want to hear him say, well done. The word here um, for please is to accommodate oneself to the opinions, desires, and interests of another. I'm trying to accommodate my life to the opinions, the desires, and the interests of the Lord. That's how I want to live. That's how I want to finish. So it is a full-on abandonment for the cause of the kingdom that Paul is calling Timothy to live for. And he wraps this up in that first metaphor of being a soldier. Then he moves on in verse 5 to that next example of competing faithfully like an athlete. And he says, if you 
are an athlete who's competing, you got you got to follow the rules. I mean, you, you know, you know, if you if you're if you're running, and you, you know, you're somebody who's a runner and you're in a race, and you're you know you're behind, you don't just get to cut across the middle of the infield to save time. I won. No, you didn't. You're disqualified. That's not how it is. Well, I crossed the finish line for yeah because you cheated. You didn't run the way you were supposed to. And so we look to follow the rules that the Lord lays down for us. He's given us rules on how to live our life, the way we're to conduct ourselves. And so we walk and we compete carefully like an athlete that's trained, that wants to do the best they can. They want that prize. The soldier wants to please. The athlete wants the prize. And so he speaks of that. Then the next uh, example he gives is that of the hardworking farmer, a farmer. And he says that he must be first to partake of the crops. Um, again, like a soldier or like a, you know, a, a, a committed athlete, a farmer is not an activity to get involved in if you want to have it easy. All three of these speak of discipline, they speak of sacrifice, they speak of exertion. And so he speaks of the hardworking farmer. Farmers who fail to put in the effort of tilling the soil, planting, fertilizing, watering, they're not going to have the joy of the crop, of the harvest. Or if they do, it's not going to be what it could have been. So the idea of not getting involved in the work because of of the time and energy commitment that's going to be required, that's not a biblical thought. It's unbiblical. Well, I, got, I have to get involved. I have to get you know, totally engaged in this. And yes, it's going to take time and it's going to take energy and it's going to make me um, have those moments where I just like, I'm just kind of flopped down. Like I have no more. Well, that's all right because that's the way we've been called to work and to live. When did Jesus get to rest? He's resting now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day when we pass from this life, we will be able to sit down and we will be able to rest as well. So for us as believers, hard work, endure hardship, follow the rules, live the way God has called us to. These are the things that should mark our life. These are the qualities of one who is able to finish well. He says here that the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Most of the people that Paul was writing to are that, you know, he's writing to Timothy. Timothy's in Ephesus. Ephesus is in that city where they worshiped the goddess of Diana. And um, historical records show that the temple of Artemis or Diana. Uh, kind of had about a one-mile circumference around the city, and all of those fields were theirs. So almost everybody that would have been a farmer that Timothy is thinking of or Paul's thinking of in this town, they would have been doing it in somebody else's field. So what's the motivation? What's the fruit? There's, got, there's a part for me. And he's saying, you've got to partake of that fruit. You have to receive it. Again, the soldier pleases the one who is enlisted. The athlete gets the prize, and the farmer gets to partake. 
There's a, there's a benefit. There's a payoff. There's a, a something that's beautiful that comes. And to each one of these, as is the case for us in the Lord, what are the crops of which we all should be partaking of? Well, how about the joys of fellowship? I mean, we're calling other people and working and laboring in their life so that they might fellowship with God, that they might fellowship with each other, that they might know the wisdom and the light that the Word gives them, that they might know the peace and the presence of God in prayer. These are all the benefits that we labor to bring others into. But are we ourselves enjoying those fruits? Are we praying if we're calling other people to pray? Are we enjoying our time of fellowship in the Word? Are we enjoying time with people? Because again, those ruts are really easy to find. And you can keep on throwing activity and motion and all the rest. But if you're doing that and you're not calling, and you yourself are not partaking of the goodness of that which you're laboring for, there's a real problem there, isn't there? And so we must experience this. And really, as you do this, this is what helps you continue on. This is what helps me continue on. It's, it's not enough, although there is a, uh, there's an element of joy and excitement and fulfillment to see people walk in the faith. You walking in faith is not good enough. I must walk in the faith, right? I must labor and I must partake. And this is the danger as you labor week after week, month after month, year after year, and the years turn into decades, and now you've been doing it your whole life, and you're just you're doing stuff. But boy, you're not connected with the Lord. You're not in fellowship. You're not receiving the beauty of that experience. And the Lord would have us to enjoy the beauty of those experiences. He closes there in verse 7 and tells them to listen and learn. Consider, all right, listen, that what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Learn. Hear it. And receive it. Have an understanding about this. And maybe the Lord is doing that with you. I pray that he's doing that right now with you. That you've been listening, but he's giving you understanding in your own life. You know, we talk about soldiers. And in, in our military, you have active duty and you have reserves. And you have those that used to be, right? Veterans. Guess what? There's only one type of soldier in the kingdom of God. And what is it? Active duty. Oh, you know, I used to really labor for the Lord. But you know, it's now time for me to take care of myself. Really? You got a verse for that one? I mean, wh wh where, are you, where are you coming from on that? What, I mean, shouldn't you be pouring your life out even more as you see that finish line approaching? You know, it's like, well... You know, I, I, I'm going to let somebody else pick it, pick it up now and do it. Now, I realize we transition and we move into different areas of ministry as our life goes along. And that's wonderful. That's beautiful. And that's a, a healthy, natural thing. But if it's just like, I don't want to work hard anymore, I don't want to endure anything anymore, and I really just want to please myself, then that's a problem. No, may we not have that reservist mentality. But may at every area and every station of our life, whether we're young and full of vision and strength and energy and years to labor, may we, may we do it this way. 
But even if we're at the end, or where we see the end coming and it's getting closer, that we would still be the hardworking farmer. We would still be partaking of those first fruits. We still would be competing according to the rules, and we would still be trying to uh, please the one who enlisted us, not getting entangled in the affairs. So listen, learn. Are you active duty, or are you more like a reservist right now? Now, I realize you're, most of you are, are not in full-time ministry, nor will you be. Some of you feel that call, and you will be. I hope you have a different mentality than the guy I sat next to when I was 17 years old on a plane trip going back and forth to, uh, uh, I don't know if I was coming or going actually to England, but I was 17 years old, we were on a missions trip, and the guy said, so young man, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, oh, I want to be a pastor. Well, that's a good profession, that's, that's noble. He goes, and it's, a, it's an easy life too. I'm 17 years old. This is an older gentleman. I wasn't going to be rude, but I said, well, I said, I don't know yet. But if I look at my pastor, it doesn't look like he's coasting. He's laboring really, really hard. And so I, I intend to be a pastor that would labor hard. Oh, good, good. That's a great mentality. You know, it's just he didn't get it. <laughs> but we are to be laying our lives out. Do you, do you want to finish with all kinds of energy and ideas, all kinds of strength in the reserves. I am not a cross-country runner, never have been, and I have no desire to be one, actually. I've got a car. That's good. <laughs> but I've watched people do it. And um, all of my kids um, have done this. Um, and I remember especially my, my daughters in their cross-country. And um, as they ran... Um, the goal was always that as they came to that last stretch, right, that they would, they would put it all out there. But the speed increase is not very much because they've been using and pouring out their energy the whole time. But there are always those kids that would come in last and they would just like sprint to the end faster than anybody and they would be last because they, they, hold, they held everything in reserve. When the, when the trail went back in the woods, they were sitting walking and picking flowers. I don't know what they were doing. But then those that were at the top, when they were finishing, they never had this big sprint at the end. There's, they would put, you could see the speed increase, but not by a lot. When we cross the finish line, hopefully we're crossing with just enough strength to get across the finish line. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. You've left a good model for us in your son, Jesus Christ, who labored and gave himself up completely to fulfill the mission that you gave him. And as your son said, as the Father has sent me, I now send you. Lord, we know how we are to go as sent ones. We know how we're to labor. We know how we're to run. We know how we're to fight. Give us, Lord, the grace to be able to do this, to walk this out. 